Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, the sound of Labour Conference in Brighton there. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. With me, Owen Bennett, Ned Simons. Hello. And Ned. Paul Wall. Hello. And Ms. Kate Forrester. Hello. Hello. How are you all? We all no. feeling good? We all got our energies back after? A bit tired. Conference? A bit tired. All right. Okay. A bit wasted. Well, we'll get you still. A bit. We'll get wasted. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get all your thoughts later on. Um, anyway, so mingling with Labour delegates and activists in Brighton, you'd be forgiven for thinking the party had won the election in June and Jeremy Corbyn was now Prime Minister. Indeed, with a rewriting of history, the Ministry of Truth from 1984 would have been proud of Unite General Secretary Len McCluskey made this pronouncement from the main conference stage. And let me say this to those merchants of doom, the whingers and the whiners, who say we should have done better, we didn't win. I say we did win. There we are, we did win, says Len. Uh, that was very much the air of comments, wasn't it? I thought there was this kind of, you know, you wouldn't think they were 66 behind the Tories, <laughs> but there was a, a sense no. that, hey, we, we won. And I think being in the hall for Jeremy Corbyn's um, leader speech, it was definitely the most upbeat and kind of buzzy atmosphere of, an, of a leader speech crowd that I think maybe I've ever ever been in. I've been to quite a lot, including ones of people who've actually won the election. It was extraordinary, the, the kind of the atmosphere in, in that room. And that's the strange thing about the, this winning point. Did they win the election or did they not? Obviously, they didn't win it. Um, but I looked up some stats which shows just how close it all was. And a lot of Labour MPs remind us of this fact, which is that Theresa May was just eight seats short of a majority OK. In those eight seats, a total of 786 votes were the difference between them being behind Labour and winning. And that means 400 votes, if she'd shifted the other way, Theresa May would be in, having a Commons majority right now. That's how tight it was, whereas Labour was 64 seats away from majority. And that's a, ma a massive 103,000. They'd have to shift 50,000 votes. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot. And Labour will obviously be hoping that, you know, the way Brexit pans out and the economy pans out in the next few years and sheer sort of weariness with the Tories will mean that they'll get over the line. But don't forget, those margins are still quite, you know, tight for the Tories to, to win again. But that wasn't, it? yeah, sorry, Kate, it wasn't the margins people were talking about down there. They were... Claiming, you know, we we. Oh, it was the moral victory. Yeah, that was it. The moral victory. That's word, that's it? what matters, isn't it? I think that was what that was the kind of thread running through it all. And wasn't it? I was going to say on your facts and figures that wasn't it the biggest swing in history? Rebecca Long Bailey was talking yeah, about. Yeah, and as Jeremy said in his speech, it was the, it was the biggest increase in Labour's votes since 1945. Increase, of course, it's from a low base. Mm, yeah, but the other point is that you know. Whenever people are talking about Labour won 40% of the vote, which is a hell of an achievement, there's no question about it. He did miles better than Ed Miliband did, there's no question, and Gordon Brown. But the Tories still got 42% of the vote, and that is the statistic that surely everyone in the Labour Party should remember. 42% of the vote after seven years in power. And also, how long can Labour keep up this kind of enthusiasm? The next election is not for five years. 
a lot happens in five years and all this talk from Corbyn and Labour of you know we're on the verge of power on the edge of government but you're not because there's not an election tomorrow there will be people who will get bored I think so while the atmosphere was sort of mostly positive and energetic I think we'd agree uh, one topic did seem to split the room whenever it was mentioned that was Brexit at the end of the first day of conference it emerged that Brexit would not be put to a meaningful vote after delegates failed to back it in a ballot. This led to cries of stitch-up, with the suggestion that Momentum had ordered its members not to support the topic to avoid embarrassing the leadership. There was, however, a Brexit debate in the main hall, which saw members take to the stage either support or decry the the decision. And here is people on both sides of the argument. We will be remembered as the opposition that let the Tories do what they want with Brexit. But I remember that Monty Python sketch. I'm old enough to remember it. The parrot is dead. It is... It is... It it doesn't exist. It has ceased to exist. You have as much chance of stopping Brexit as Jeremy Corbyn has of wearing my Tottenham shirt. Get real! So Brexit, it was... Although they tried not to talk about it, it kind of... I thought it was the one thing that was kind of constantly talked about. In every fringe I was at, about what the topic was, it was sort of went back to... Brexit or immigration, that seemed to come up quite a lot. Um, I don't know whether anyone else thought that. Maybe I was just going to these Brexit fringes. but Yeah, no, I think that's true. And a lot of people were talking about it. But I think the worrying thing, the troubling thing for, for me and for a lot of, I think, centrist or moderate MPs was that you can't be serious about being a government in waiting if you are not going to take the talk about the main issue that's going to you know, face us all to the main hall. Um, and I think that I do think that was a problem. But Paul, surely you know, they did talk about it. They had a debate. The fact they didn't have a vote, maybe it's because they all agree with the, with the position that Keir Starmer set out. So actually, this is not—is this not just people who are anti the Labour Party trying to find any little thing just to stir up dissent? Well, I think to be honest, personally, I think it was really sensible to park it as an issue because you know you're the opposition. Even if those those motions had been voted on and passed, they're not binding on Labour Party policy because this curious thing where conference is sovereign but it doesn't determine policy. The National Policy Forum determines policy. So even if they'd been passed, they would have been in this bizarre situation of telling the voters, look, we're in favour of free movement forever and, and staying in the single market forever, but it wouldn't have been policy. And so that's why I think people like Keir Starmer were quite relieved actually at this organisational fix, and it was a fix, let's be honest, to make sure it wasn't there wasn't any meaningful vote on Brexit. Um, but, you know, the other point is that, yeah, there was a debate, but you're not going to solve this massive 3D chess puzzle of Brexit in one afternoon's debate at a Labour Party conference. You see, it's not going to happen, you know, and, and how can you possibly think it would be? It's going to take a long, long process to sort of hammer out what the next policy is. Actually, I was just going to say, I think you have to at least nod to it. But they had, they had the debate there, right? Yeah, they nodded. I suppose, yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, Ned, yeah, you nodded up? <laughs> <laughs> nodded up Brighton? Nodding Ned. Yeah, I felt they could have, you know, nodded a bit harder about it. <laughs> Yeah, like Kate says. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing, though, is that is the this whole <laughs> idea. What will come back? I mean, Kate's right. You know, it, it's going to come back, and next year will be interesting because you know. Um, there's this bubbling under idea of not a second referendum, no one uses that phrase, but the first referendum on the deal. And we saw, you know, Andrew Gwynn, who we'll talk about later, talked about that, that being a possibility of a referendum at some point. Tom Watson has said yesterday that, you know, you can't rule out a second referendum. So 
that idea is going to come to the surface, I think, over the next year. And crucially, I think it will all be resolved, like everything in the Labour Party these days, within the left. It won't be people like Tom Watson. It won't be the Shadow Cabinet. It'll be the left making a decision. People in momentum who are really, some of them really steamed up about this issue and want to stay in the single market. Will they get their way against people who, are, let's be honest, are legziteers in favour of Lexit, a Labour Brexit around Corbyn? Um, as with any conference, some of the most interesting discussions took place away from the main hall at the hundreds of fringe events which took place. HuffPost UK had its own fringe on Sunday, with Mr Paul War interviewing Shadow Communities and Local Government Secretary and the Labour Party Election Co-Coordinator, Andrew Gwynn. Here's a clip. Can I ask you a bit about the Boris Johnson incident, infamous sort of <laughs> two rounds you had on yeah, Sky? Yeah. When he when he touched you at first, what yeah. do you think was going on? Was yeah. it was him trying to shove you to the ground? Well, that was on the second time. So let, I, I need to tell a longer story, I'm afraid, because what happened the first time? It was the it was the Sky News um, leaders debate over in the west of London, uh, and myself and Barry Gardner had been dispatched uh, to the spin room for the Labour Party. And I was supposed to be doing uh, a head-to-head interview with David Davis, um, but then Boris arrived at the last minute, and so David Davis was changed for Boris. And so... um, we did this interview, and Boris was so rude and, uh, you know, was just condescending. And I do think it's a class thing, you know, how dare this oik, who was educated in some comprehensive school in eastern greater Manchester, how dare he challenge and uh, speak up against this great foreign secretary who was Eton educated. And, you know, I'm not having any of it, so I, you know, held my ground. But one of the things that I very quickly noticed was when I put my arm on Boris's shoulder, he hated it. He absolutely hated body contact. So I remembered that for the second time. So, <laughs> so, so this time we're in York for the BBC Question Time leaders debate, and I'm up in the green room, and the Labour Party and the uh, Tories had separate green rooms, uh, and the green rooms were p- full of alcohol, so, you know, I'm sure they try and get you tipsy beforehand, but I steered clear of it, so I had a fresh head, and uh, this time it was me and Ian Lavery that were there to back for the Labour Party, um, and David Prescott was the press officer that uh, accompanied us, and he got a telephone call from Sky saying um, we're down in the spin room we'd very much like a repeat of Andrew Gwynn and Boris Johnson are you up for that so I'm like of course I'm up for it (laughs) Um, so we went down to the um, to the spin room and Boris and his aide was already there at which stage Boris's aide comes over to David Prescott and says I'm very sorry under no circumstances are Mr Gwynn and Mr Johnson to do a head to head we've cleared it with Sky Mr Johnson is going to go first uh, live down the line and then after Mr Johnson's finished you can swap over and Mr Gwynn will go down the line so I was really disappointed and you know (laughs) said okay Boris started his interview, so of course he's live on, on camera, and David Prescott, half-joking, the trouble causer that he is, he nudged me and he said, you know, you could go over there and, um, <laughs> and doorstep him, because he can't do anything uh, now he's live on TV. <laughs> and I think before he could finish saying, but I'm only joking, I was over there. And, 
put my hand on his shoulder because I know it winds him up. And I said, Boris, long time no see. Why won't you debate with me? Weren't we supposed to be doing this head to head? And then waved down the camera, bye, and uh, walked off. So, of course, he's all flustered. Oh, you big girl's blouse. That's oh, Labour MP Andrew Gwynn. Come back, come back. So, of course, I did go back. Now, I'm at a disadvantage because I've not got an earpiece in. So, I can't hear any of the questions that Dermot Murnahan's asking of Boris Johnson. And Boris is trying to get me onto the issue of Brexit. And I'm trying to get Boris back onto the issue of what's happening to uh, pensioners' homes with the, uh, the, the, the dementia tax, what's happening to their winter fuel allowance, what's happening to uh, all the other pensioner benefits and so on. And uh, he got really flustered because I put my hand on his shoulder again. I went, Boris, answer the question. Now, at this stage, he just grabbed hold of the scruff of the back of my neck and he pushed me forward. Now, I very nearly lost balance and crashed into yeah. the, the camera. And I think at that split second, he thought, oh, shit, I shouldn't be doing this. It's all... <laughs> and he pulled me back. And that's when I said, Boris, don't be a pillock. <laughs> and that went viral. The rest is history. <laughs> It did go viral, and it proves that you do swear occasionally. Just very quickly, Paul, I thought the Andrew Gwynn interview was good. I'm going to say that obviously because you're my boss and you yeah, did the interview. Yeah, pay rise in the uh, Thank you very much. Um, but he was, um, one of the things that came out was he said that the day the election was called, he went back to Labour HQ and was like, right, what's the information we've got? And all the internal polling said they were, they were down to lose, like, what, 75 seats or something? Yeah. That was extraordinary. I mean, he confirmed for the first time on the record what's been talked about behind the scenes in Labour for ages, which is they had this private polling, a horrible, horrific polling, which said they were going to go down to 159 seats, which would be an amazing rump of, of a party left, a sort of shriveled Labour party. And, and he himself, in a very safe seat up north, was, was on that list. He would have lost his Ten seat. And a half thousand majority. Yeah. And as it happened, he massively increased his yep. majority. So, you know, that's why all the talk about number crunch and figures and forecasts, you know, we have to take into account that the voters matter more than anything else but, in all this. Okay, but does this show that either A, the polling was wrong, or B, the campaign made a huge difference? Well, that's the, that's the massive <laughs> question, isn't it? <laughs> Great, stitch me right up with that. Yeah. I would suspect that actually this time it was the campaign that did make a difference. But, I mean, I don't know Labour's polling data so you know maybe yeah. the polls was also wrong as well in fact, the labor so, the labor I mean, party who had the same polling had this polling data saying this you know media commentators get chastised for talking labor down run up to the election but even labor was saying that to themselves we're going to get destroyed yeah but i mean there were some areas where they still went backwards i mean in some traditional labor areas among like and i'll talk a little bit a bit more about this later but among you know your traditional white working class older labor voters they they significantly went back there. Well, let's go on to that now because you talking about the fringes. You you know we all went to lots of fringes, but you went to some really interesting ones, Kate. And just talk us through. I think you, the white working class thing was one of the ones you went to, wasn't it? Yeah. So there was a fringe with Jess Phillips, Lucy Powell, um, Steve McCabe, and Angela Eagle. And these are all you know MPs of um, should we say more towards the centre of the party. Um, they talked about how they're really still really worried. They're really pleased, obviously, that the campaign. Um, galvanise young liberal voters and also um, people who haven't voted before but they're still really worried about leaving behind your traditional Labour support base um, so they say that Angela Eagle said there needs to be a Marshall plan um, for communities that have been really left behind you know you kind of run down your Blackpools places like that in the north um, did they sing that Blackpool? Or is that you doing that now? Because that's you, me. Right, okay. That's me. So just, you'll get the yeah. letters. Good, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> letters. Uh, <laughs> so old-fashioned. 
thanks. Yeah, nobody writes letters anymore. <laughs> I get thanks the angry you, tweets. I'm, I'm going to <laughs> launch an extensive letter writing campaign against you. Um, Jess Phillips said that the campaign was the most middle class campaign that Labour's done since '97. She said it really addressed middle class issues, which is good because that meant didn't they win a landslide in '97? Yeah, but she said that the kind of tone of the campaign was similar. Right. And it didn't do enough for people who aren't middle class. It didn't speak to them. And the the other problem, which Steve McCabe raised, which I thought was very interesting, was that he's concerned that Labour is in danger of becoming too preachy and telling people what's good for them and telling people what they should want. And he says that is not going to fly with people in your rundown communities who are scared to walk from the bus stop to their house because it's dangerous and there's not enough police on the streets, etc. Well, speaking of preachy, Ned was at the World Transformed, which was a momentum... That's an unfair segue. Which was the momentum version of the... Comp- Talk was his World Transformed. I didn't go. I didn't go because I, I'm massively mainstream media. I stayed yeah, in the yeah. hall. It was great. Ned, talk me through so what the real people were saying. Yeah, so for the second year running, Momentum had its own conference alongside the Labour conference. It was kind of nine venues around Brighton, very close to the official one, which was the Brighton Centre. It's a kind of, um, you know, they had lots of discussions about socialism and, and the future of politics, as well as kind of more practical ones for Momentum members who aren't perhaps as used to Labour Party machinery. So it's how to get, you know, how to be an activist within the Labour Party, how the Labour Party works. Um, I think one thing that was I really noticed about it was that for a long time, Labour MPs who hate a momentum are always saying, you know, you've got all these activists, they're not going to campaign, they don't know how to door knock, they're really disorganised. But it turns out that wasn't true. And there was hundreds of momentum activists, if not thousands, mobilising the campaign out on the streets with MPs from whatever side of the party they were on, actually. There was a Labour MP for Croydon, the new MP, mm. um, and she had to admit, you know, I didn't vote for Corbyn, but I had hundreds of activists turning up to help me and I won the seat because of them. And they proved they are organised. And also, as we spoke about earlier, the way they organised through their mobile app to defeat uh, or block a vote on Brexit, they played a huge part in that. So I think there were quite kind of a lot of backslapping going on. Interesting, though, what they do now. I think at the last kind of um, conference in Liverpool, Momentum was sort of there as the kind of Praetorian guard, as Clive Lewis put it, for Corbyn. So protecting him against internal coups and battles. But now Corbyn's totally secure at the top of the party. It's less clear what their what their mission is. You know, how do just as I was saying earlier about what can Labour keep this enthusiasm up? Can momentum keep it sort of this kind of upbeat, you know, activist base going for five more years? They might start running out of sort of things to do. But Paul, isn't that shows actually you know, people like me sneering at momentum there, but actually momentum having the last laugh because they are doing exactly what they should be doing, which is telling people this is how you get involved in the Labour Party, this is how you door knock, this is how you change things at conference. And actually it's a really smart, clever, useful way of getting people involved in the party. I and mean, let's be honest, who could be against young people being more active mm. in politics? Exactly. I mean, it's kind of, you know, the Tories are, are desperate to see what this magic formula is. You know, it's not just about social media, it's about genuinely engaging people and getting them debating about ideas and not necessarily just about joining the Labour Party, but just getting involved in politics. And also, also a lot of their events, some were a bit sort of like airy-fairy, but some were really, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. some were really good. And what I thought was excellent was they had a, um, an event which had an MP, a newly elected MP, in conversation with sort of with one of the activists from the constituency. So you had, it was really interesting to actually hear from the stories of uh, 
uh, Labour campaign, a momentum campaigner about why they got involved and what they did during the campaign. And you don't really get that in the official conference, which is usually you just get MPs or think tank uh, ex people or that kind of stuff. That was, I thought, really, really good. And it was way more interesting than a lot of the um, kind of official fringes. But what's curious is that actually you've got that side of things, which is brand new kind of politics, but they've also mastered the old machine politics, oh, yeah. as we saw yeah, on yeah. the floor of the conference. And not many people know this, but there was an obscure body called the National Constitutional Committee, which had its election this week. Now, that determines what happens in party discipline. You know, Ken Livingston's case is like that. It's people purges. You know, when people say something wrong, this is the committee and it's subcommittee that sort it out. So it's election this week. There are a couple of seats going up and it were really important. And basically the chair of that committee, who's on the moderate wing of the party, was voted off. But not just voted off, defeated by a landslide because momentum mobilised all its people. Now how did it do it? It didn't do it actually through what it did for the rest of the conference, which is through this conference app for momentum. It, the, the app was kind of a, a small role in this. It basically mobilised them on the streets uh, with leaflets and also in person. And to vote in this election, delegates basically turn up in person and they go to this little hall down the back of the, the conference centre and they vote throughout a whole day. But it's first come, first served. And if you're a member of a, of a CLP, you've got several delegates, right? Some places have 12, some have 24. Normally it's about six. But only one of them can carry all the votes for that CLP. And it's done amazingly on first come, first served. So you've got moderates and lefties from the same CLP who were racing to get there first. But momentum beat them to it. And they got there first. They were there right early in the morning. And, you know, that actually says a lot about how organised they are. Excellent stuff. So, uh, well, believe it or not, it wasn't all peace and love at the conference. Um, BBC's political editor, Laura Kunzberg, had to have a bodyguard due to concerns over her safety. And there were also complaints over anti-Semitism. Corbyn himself used his main speech to attack the media. They ran the campaign they always do under orders from their tax exile owners to trash Labour at every turn. <clears throat> the day before the election, I remember it well, I was on trains all day long doing six rallies. One paper devoted 14 pages to attacking the Labour Party. And the following day, our vote went up nearly 10%. <laughs> Never have so many trees died in vain. The British people saw right through it. So this is a message to the Daily Mail's editor. No. Next, oh, no, 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 no. Next time, please make it 28 pages. <laughs> it wasn't just the Daily Mail there which experienced the wrath of Labour. Innocent journalists such as, um, well, me, actually, got addressing oh, it now. Yeah. Oh, from the beast of Bolsover himself, Dennis Skinner. Here he is, here he is. Uh, well, just listen to it. Say this is Labour not learning their lesson from before, wouldn't they? No, no. As a matter of fact, do you think it was wrong for Nye Bevan to build a national health service to save your life or your relatives' lives? Of course it wasn't. Do you think it was wrong to build all those council houses after the war? Do you know what the unemployment was at the end of that first five years of a Labour government? 2.2%. Do you agree with that? Answer. 
Me personally? Yes. Well, I'm just here to ask questions. No, I'm, 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 I'm giving you a chance to get involved. Well, no, but some people were but saying... But you that were all asking all... Try, you think you're asking all good questions. No, no, not at all. I'm so just... why don't you understand that you are part of society? Is it a good idea to get rid of zero-hour contracts in case you might get one? What about some people who want zero-hour contracts, though? Some no, people like the flexibility. time that you understood that you're not somebody outside the perimeter. You're involved. You are somebody that could be affected by all the proposals that you've heard today from Dave and other people. But somehow or other, you people connected to the television media think you're above it all. You're not. You're more and more like Trump. You're vain, conceited. You believe that nobody should argue with you. But me personally? That, yes. When you say it's not your business, that's what you're saying. You're fired. <laughs> Enjoy that, everyone, did you? Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah fired. it was great. You're fired. I've, got, I've got a file on the things you're guilty of. <laughs> Conceited, vain. How did he know? <laughs> Obviously a listener to the yeah. Commentary Podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, the conference came to a close with Jeremy Corbyn declaring war on social cleansing in his keynote speech. He demanded an end to forced gentrification of council estates and vowed to introduce rent controls in an attempt to get the spiralling cost of living under control. It was without doubt Corbyn's best speech as leader and he even got him some good jokes at the expense of the Tories. But this Tory government does have one thing we lack. They have tracked down the magic money tree. <laughs> It's been found and it's been put to use. I'm not going to say good use, it's been put to use. It, when it was needed to keep Theresa May in Downing Street, it was given a good old shake. <laughs> and lo and behold, we now know the price of power. It's approximately £100 million for each Democratic Unionist MP. Uh, here's Justice Secretary Richard Bergen's reaction to the speech. The test of a politician and a Prime Minister isn't how good the speeches are, mm. but suffice to say, Jeremy's an even better speaker now than he was two years ago. He's an even better speaker now than he was in 1983 when he was first elected. But he's a great speaker, but the most important thing is to be a great Prime Minister. So what, what do you make of the speech, guys? Because it seemed to me, I mean, it was very long. It was like about 90 minutes, wasn't it? But he, he, he seemed in control. He was slow with his delivery. He looked really at home on yeah. the stage you didn't feel like he was going to read out an auto cue direction like he did before and that intro the intro oh my god Talk the music was amazing yeah. uh, uh, did you find this is a young people's band they're on trend uh, basically it's a hip-hop group from southern california called the siege and oh, i thought it was the si uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the song was the drum. The now, drum, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, like we all agreed, didn't we? That was so slick. It's one of the slickest. If I think it was the slickest intro I've ever seen to a party conference speech because it it combined the music superbly with the quick cut of 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 Corbyn out on the streets with these mass crowds, meeting real people, not just meeting the massive sort of uh, adulatory crowds, but also in real situations with old people, young people. Him kicking a football with a kid. 
all that stuff, and it was cut beautifully. The, the interesting thing was, I thought that would be a great party broadcast for them, so I asked the Labour Party, you know, can we have a copy of this video? Unfortunately, they're obviously not as tech-savvy as we thought they were, because it's shot only in 16.9 format, which means it can't go on YouTube, <laughs> which is bizarre. Wow. So it was a great big stretch across the, the conference hall as we all saw it, but yeah. I don't think many people have seen it. It was no. really, it was really, it was very regular intro, and it, and it's what I liked about it is that it kind of, you know, the clip of Corbyn playing football, it kind of embraced the fact that he's an old guy playing football. It didn't try to paint him out as some kind of like presidential figure. No, exactly. It, I thought it just got the yeah. tone absolutely superb. Uh, the speech itself, um, he was, he wasn't. We heard the clip there when we got the Daily Mail earlier on. He wasn't afraid to have a go at his critics, but. Was it a bit light on policy? Because apart from the stuff on, um, you know, there'll be ballots now for residents for houses get regenerated, and there was a bit about a national education service. But it was light on policy. Through, but I, loss, think, I think it, it can be excused, to be honest. You've just come out of a general election where you've got a, a manifesto that had lots and lots of policy in it. And so I think, to be honest, all right, yeah, it would be nice to see a few more bit of details in terms of the offer they're giving to the voters. But the point of this conference was to build on that manifesto and sort of tweak it and slowly use it as a basis for the next five years and that kind of worked for me the tone of Corbyn was more important than the, than the substance and you're right I think we've seen and it's not just in that conference speech which was definitely his best so far where he sounded sort of you know much more measured and, and, and sort of reasonable while having all these sort of quite radical ideas within it. Um, we also see it in his media performances. So on Andrew Marr, he was really, really, you know, professional, more professional than I've ever seen on so Andrew Marr. He was so chilled. He was basically lying down during that yeah. interview. And it's because he's worked out that actually you don't have to junk all your principles in order to play a bit of the media game. He made a great deal at the general election saying, I'm not going to play the media's game, but actually he's learned how to play that game. And you play that game. If they're throwing googly um, cricket balls at you or sort of bouncers thrown at you by the media, you just do a straight bat. What you don't do is thrash away at it and try and hit it the boundary. You just do a straight bat and you keep your cool and you do what every other politician's ever done and you, you, you do your own talking points. Now, that might be a bit frustrating for some people who say, oh, he's supposed to be different. But actually, I think it proves that he's learned the game. It doesn't mean he's changed because he's, he's just doing in a different way. Kate, what was your overall impression? I mean, I don't know if you can ever call a conference a success or not, but but what did you feel, what's the kind of health of the Labour Party at the moment then, having, having spent far too much time with them? I think it's very buoyant on the whole um, for most of the people that were there. Um, I think the whole, the thread running through conference was let's galvanise this and let's build it. You know, let's double the Labour Party's membership this time next year. I think that was very much the focus of most of the big speeches. It was kind of a celebration of, of how Labour's surpassed expectations and let's, you know, let's kick on from here. Ned, what did you think? What was your, what was your takeaway from it? Yeah, I think essentially the same. It was just a, it was definitely kind of just a kind of a party. It wasn't sort of the last two years have been very quite really downbeat. The internal fighting, the the coups and all that kind of stuff. This one was very little of that. There was the arguments about anti-Semitism, like you said, and the kind of the Brexit um, debate. But really, the overall mood was pretty upbeat. I think one thing I wanted to mention was on the Saturday night, I went to a rally Corbyn held in Brighton uh, in a park called The Level. It's outside your old house, isn't it? It is outside my yeah. old house, just, <laughs> just slip that in. And it's quite a big park and there was thousands of people there on the you know, the eve of conference. A lot of people who I'm pretty sure weren't going to conference, they look like just local Brighton people who turned up, all ages, kids, older people, to watch Corbyn speak and they're waiting for ages for it. You know, you, you don't get that 
any other Labour conference, certainly not at a Conservative Party conference. And that's that was the mood of the whole conference. It almost it was like a celebration that it was that the party being relieved. It's not divided anymore. Relieved, it knows where it stands. A lot of people, you know, said it's the best conference they've been to in years. Those are people who've not been to a conference mm. in years because they were turned exactly. off by Tony Blair and machine politics. So there was definitely that buoyant mood. But what was curious, and I think we might get this next year. I mean, next year I think we'll have more internal battles. We'll have the left trying to consolidate its position. The, the centrists might finally start fighting back next year. They've sort of waved the white flag this year. Next year we might see a bit more of a punchy conference, um, depending on how far the left want to push things. Especially because we'll know where we are a bit more on Brexit this time. Precisely. And, you know, I think that will, will change the sort of the context of it all. But, yeah, it was it felt like a celebration. But I go back to that original point. The Conservative Party won 42% in the general election after seven years in power. And no one really on the platform or in fringes really addressed that. And I think someone's going to have to address that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, the strangest fringe I went to was one about um, uh, a left-wing vision for England, positive vision for England, which is something we talked about on this podcast before, haven't we, about our Labour needs to get an English identity. And one of the panellists, who was a, a PhD student, just went on about Robinson Crusoe, the book. <laughs> uh, and I was just sitting there thinking, what the fuck has this got to do with anything? And then she went on hey, about... Hey, listener, he swore. Yeah, it's not just me. And then she went on about... Um, how Robertson Crusoe basically represented everything that was wrong with England because he was a he went off to I'm, I'm not I'm not read it right but he went off to apparently put on the room he was getting slaves or something but then at the end she went actually he's the son of an immigrant and I was like so so immigrants everything that's wrong with I don't understand <laughs> this like uh, and then she went down let's turn turn to the 1957 film with Peter O'Toole and that point I thought oh <laughs> please <laughs> stop talking so that was my highlight of the Labour conference but you know what's going to happen and the great yeah. irony irony of this week I think is that during the peak of the coup last year when people like Tom Watson and Owen Smith and Lisa Nandy went into Corbyn and said look you know the game is up um, the, the suggestion was that Corbyn would have to would, could step aside and be president of the Labour Party who have this brand new title which never existed before he'd be president um, obviously it didn't work Corbyn swept to a second landslide but I think that after this week what's undeniable actually is that no matter what happens to Corbyn in the next few years he's going to end up being President Emeritus of the Labour Party yeah, for a long a hero, time. A no matter what the next election result, they could go down in flames, but a lot of people have joined the party and even MPs are going to have to acknowledge what he's done in this election. And so he may end up being President of the Labour Party for quite a long time, even after he ceased to be leader. Well, we will now turn our attention uh to the Tory party conference we'll be dispatching to Manchester soon so next week's podcast will be a Tory conference special and I'm predicting as much uh, happiness and joy <laughs> from the party in government it's just blowing my mind this stuff so thanks for listening and uh, we'll speak to you next week cheers hold up what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.